The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we are going to be doing Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Chapter 12, The Triwizard Tournament. This chapter starts out with all the students settling into the Great Hall for the annual sorting ceremony and the Great Feast. The Sorting Hat sings a song, and it's best to leave this to the endearing vocal talents of Jim Dale from the audiobook. So, enjoy. A thousand years or more ago, when I was newly sown, there lived four wizards of renown, whose names are still well known. Bold Gryffindor, Fun Wildmore, Fair Ravenclaw from Glen, Sweet Hufflepuff from Valley Broad, Shrewd Slytherin from Fen. They shared a wish, a hope, a dream. They hatched a daring plan to educate young sorcerers. Thus Hogwarts School began. Now each of these four founders formed their own house for each. Did value different virtues in the ones they had to teach. By Gryffindor the bravest were prized far beyond the rest. For Ravenclaw, the cleverest, would always be the best. For Hufflepuff, hard workers were most worthy of admission. And power-hungry Slytherin loved those of great ambition. While still alive, they did divide their favorites from the throng. Yet how to pick the worthy ones when they were dead and gone? T'was Gryffindor who found the way. He whipped me off his head. The founders put some brains in me, so I could choose instead. Now slip me snug around your ears, I've never yet been wrong. I'll have a look inside your mind, and tell where you belong. So Colin Creevy's little brother, Dennis, is a first-year student at Hogwarts. He is, of course, sorted into Gryffindor with his brother. The Weasleys... It would seem that a great deal of siblings are sorted into the same houses. I know my siblings and I are a lot different, and I don't know where we would end up if we were sorted. But what are your thoughts about siblings being in the same house? Well, I think it's not necessary that all the siblings are in the same house. As we read from this chapter, we know the Patil twins, for example, are in different houses. Mm -hmm. One is in Gryffindor and one is in Ravenclaw. 
And as we learn in some of the subsequent books, the Blacks were in different houses, right? I think Sirius Black was the only one who was in Gryffindor, and everybody else was in Slytherin. Yeah, that's truth. And he was exiled from his family because of it. (laughs) Well, not because he was in Gryffindor, but because he refused to follow you-know-who, and because he was hanging out with Muggleborns. (laughs) Because his family was racist. Well, speaking of Muggleborns, the Creevies are Muggleborn and are so amazed at the magical world. Colin takes as many pictures as he can, and Dennis fell into the lake and thought it was the best time he ever had. They want to soak up all that magic juju. Besides their Muggle heritage, why do you think they're so excited about everything in the magical world? A part of it is their personalities, too. They're so awe-stricken. They're able to look through the world with these eyes full of awe. And what we know from neuroscience is that actually looking at the world through awe-filled you know, lens, if you will, creates joy and actually releases endorphins and actually reduces some autoimmune responses. So it can improve our immune functioning and and our immune system overall. Actually, the way the Creevies are, they're not only excited, they're present. They're able to find joy in their experiences. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, we should all strive to be more like them. Yeah. I, I was just thinking myself that if I was in that situation, being who I am, I would be full of awe as well. And I think we need to invent these kind of goggles, but they're ogles. (laughs) (laughs) So you see the world in awe all the time. (laughs) So as the food magically appears and the students start to eat their dinner, Nearly Headless Nick tells the group that house elves are the ones who prepare all this magical food that just suddenly appears in front of them. Hermione seems to be the only one who cares about justice and rights of the house elves, and she wants them to be treated fairly. The elves are essentially providing slave labor as they're not paid or given sick days or holidays or anything like that. What does this discovery say about blind consumption and not concerning oneself of where things come from, where these conveniences come from on a daily basis? I think it's something we see in everyday life, right? When we learn that certain products were made in, let's say, sweatshops, certain products were made by individuals who are underpaid and mistreated or made by children. Sometimes people won't care and they'll just continue buying this product and supporting the company, whereas other individuals, similar to Hermione, will take an active stance. We vote with our dollars. We have power. And so there's some... Organizations, for example, who are racist or prejudiced or homophobic, and by continuing to buy products from these organizations, we are supporting their stance. By not buying products from them, we are making our voice heard. With, for example, what's happening in Ukraine right now, there are countries that are literally voting with their money, right? They're either refusing to buy oil from Russia in order to support Ukraine, even if it means that the individuals in that country won't have access to oil or to gas, or other organizations are continuing to supply Russia with money and continuing to buy oil. And I think these are, of course, not easy choices in every situation, but I think that every individual and every 
government and every country that is making these kind of decisions, they're showing the world where they stand. It's absolutely true. We all vote with our actions and our money. So Peeves is in this chapter for a second, and Peeves really acts out. He's normally very mischievous, but this time he's acting out. He's mad about something. He even gives Professor McGonagall like a raspberry when she's trying to threaten him, you know, and he wouldn't really come back at her. It seems he was excluded from being allowed to be at the Great Feast, and it hurt his feelings. Why do some people who are hurt like this act out like he did? Well, in general, all beings are wired for belonging, right? And I think even someone like Peeves, everybody, everybody wants to be included. And exclusion really hurts. It hurts more than people realize. It is actually something that is so aversive that it can be physically and emotionally painful. And I think even for ghosts and poltergeists, (laughs) right? For poltergeists like Peeves, I imagine being excluded was very painful. And so he is not very skillful at being vulnerable. Maybe when he goes to therapy, he can learn how to say, (laughs) hey, when you excluded me, that really hurt my feelings and I would like to be included next time. But the only thing he knows how to do is to show that he's upset by acting out. And I think sometimes we see this behavior in children, although sometimes we see it in adults too, where when people don't know how to communicate their pain, they lash out. They Or they might misbehave or they might be extra cranky or, you know, insubordinate. Yeah. I get like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not only when you're excluded. <laughs> so... The big secret, you know, there's been this secret that's been over the, you know, Weasley's head and Potter and there's been this secret that's been over everybody's head. And the big secret is that Hogwarts will be hosting the Triwizard Tournament. Well, now we're all settled in and sorted, I'd like to make an announcement. This castle will not only be your home this year, but home to some very special guests as well. Hogwarts has been chosen to host a legendary event, the Tri-Wizard Tournament. Now, for those of you who do not know, the Tri-Wizard Tournament brings together three schools for a series of magical contests. From each school, a single student is selected to compete. Now, let me be clear. If chosen, you stand alone. And trust me when I say these contests are not for the faint-hearted. This news really excites everyone except for Harry. Harry is bummed that all the Quidditch matches are going to be canceled and the whole year is going to be changed for him. Why is it such a big letdown for Harry in this moment? The one thing Harry considers himself to be particularly good at is flying his broom. And I think that he doesn't believe he's particularly smart, even though he is. But he takes a lot of pride in being on the Quidditch team. And for him, I think it's the one of the only times he really feels like he contributes something to the school. I think he feels like he really belongs with his house other than the times he's hanging out with his friends. And so I think for him, not being able to play Quidditch this year is a really big letdown because it feels like he won't engage in one thing that really makes him feel worthwhile, makes him feel like he's contributing. Yeah. A couple of chapters back, we were kind of introduced to Mad-Eye Moody. And Moody actually arrives in the Great Hall with this, like, huge storm behind his back. And, you know, he looks very ominous. 
that I'm moody. Alastor Moody? The Aura? Aura? Dark wizard catcher. Arthur Selden Azkaban feel thanks to him. He's supposed to be mad as a hatter, though, these days. It's very foreboding. It is told that he is going to be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. As mentioned before, he's a veteran and he has all these visible scars as well as hidden ones. He has an enchanted eye that swirls around and moves independently. His eyes are very different from others and his gaze seems to pierce beyond anyone or anything he's looking at. Like a stare. You know, kind of like that long stare, the thousand yard stare or whatever it's called. Can you discuss the symbolism behind this stern veteran's gaze? I can't be sure as to the author's intention, but what I read is what we see in, in a lot of veterans and also, of course, active duty service members and people who were first responders and maybe are currently retired, for example, people who've seen a lot of trauma. He sees the world differently than other people. He catches things faster. He is able to see the slightest of movements because he's so hypervigilant. And I think that, to me, when I was reading it, I saw the symbolism in his very perceptive eye as something that trauma survivors have. You know, not quite so obviously as something everybody else can see, but that level of hypervigilance and perception where they're able to notice the smallest things that other people probably miss. Mm -hmm. And the thousand yard stare, is that essentially, I know, I know that shell shock is PTSD, but is that part of it too? There's kind of a look of dissociation, right, where people blank out when they're really overstimulated and overwhelmed or when they're having a flashback. Mm -hmm. And then there's a different kind of stare when people might be trying to evaluate whether the person in front of them is a threat. Mm. Yeah. The Triwizard Tournament is very dangerous, and students have actually died and can die from these challenges. The school deems it necessary to only allow students who are 17 and above to enter because of the danger. This tournament seems like a very bad idea in every sense of its existence. Why do you think a tournament such as this would be allowed at a school? And why would anyone really want to compete in something so dangerous? I mean, that is my question, too. <laughs> I would like to know the answer to that because it seems like... When parents are shipping off their kids to these boarding magical schools, in a lot of ways, there's so many dangers out there, right? And for people to compete in this and to potentially put their life on a line for a sport. And we're not talking about like, you know, a football kind of a sport where there might be an injury and and, and certainly people die, especially from concussions. But we're talking about something like being eaten by a dragon <laughs> um, for teenagers. And, um, yeah, I, I would like to know the answer to the same question as well. So it seems like we're in for a ride in the next chapter. That's pretty much where this chapter ended. Thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Dustin. You can find me on Twitter at The Van Key. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. I'm also now on TikTok. You can look for me under Dr. Janina Scarlett. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay safe, stay magical, and be kind.